The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Before we get started with today's episode of Bench with Bubba, let me tell you about one of our sponsors, Draft. If you love fantasy baseball, then you need to try our new favorite app called Draft. It's daily fantasy baseball, but not like the other guys. On Draft, you play live snake drafts with other people just like in your season-long league. Drafts last just for one night. Once you're done drafting, that's it. No trades, no waiver wire. Just set it and forget it. And the best part, you play for cold, hard cash and get paid out the next day. Drafts start from just $1, so there's a draft for everyone. Trust me, I love playing drafts. I play golf. I play NFL, basketball. You can play um, three. Uh, you can play head-to-head, three-man, six-man. There's, there's running leagues. You win one night. It keeps going for four, five, six nights. You can play a dream team. There's all kinds of great ways to play draft, and you can join me today. Just search draft in your app store or, or play right from your computer on draft.com. And when you enter promo code SD Sports. You got to enter the promo code SD Sports. You get a free entry into a real money baseball draft when you make your first deposit, but you have to use the promo code SD Sports. That's right. Playing a real money game for free just for using the promo code SD Sports when you make your first deposit. Just again, search draft in your app store or go to draft.com and enter the promo code SD Sports. Now to this week's edition of Benched with Bubba. back everybody to another episode of bench with bubba episode 115 gonna talk some fantasy baseball tonight some recent news some players to, to possibly pick up for your fantasy stretch run in order to do so i'm going to be joined by a man you can find some work on rotowire.com he's a member of the sleeper and the bus podcast and he's on twitter at jason collette jason how are we doing man good how are you great great i appreciate you uh you jumping on and uh, getting to talk to you um about some fun stuff and like I said, right before we started, probably talk a lot of race baseball. <laughs> hey, that sounds good. They're playing yes. well. You would have talked to me in April, I would have said no. Uh, but different time of year now, they're playing better baseball. 
And uh, so I'm happy. Yeah, they're playing really well. They're fun to watch. Uh, you know Yancey as well as I know Yancey. And uh, I, I live vicariously through his text messages. And lately, they've been much, much better. So <laughs> things are good. <laughs> this is true. This is, this is true. I, I was worried that he was going to melt down when he when he found out that Corey Dickerson, uh, his his jersey during Players Weekend, was not going to be C-Dick. Uh, yeah. I was a little worried that he was not going to recover from that. But apparently, he has. He's all right. He, he did shed a few tears, we could tell. So he's, he's a little heartbroken, but I think winning baseball is curing everything right now. Um, let's talk about a little player news before we go into individual players for possible ads. Will Myers, the San Diego Padres magic trick and moving around carousel with Will Myers. He's going to third base now. Nothing like coming off the DL and playing a new position. And the night he started at third base, somehow Christian Villanueva went to first base, which made no sense either. Um, what's your thoughts of Will Myers now gaining another position eligibility and hopefully staying healthy. No, go back to catcher. That's that's really what I want Will Myers. If, if people will remember, um, he was catcher eligible in Yahoo leagues there for his first year, and that was a beautiful thing because uh, he was you know, originally had that played a handful of games in the minors at that at that particular position. Um, it'll be nice if we can get the healthy Will Myers. I mean, that's been the last couple of years. It was great with the twenty twenty seasons. You know, batting average was not great, but who cares when he was doing the production he was putting up for us, which was wonderful this year. Hasn't been healthy. Um, when he has played, he's pretty much put up the same type of numbers that he's always put up. It's just we need to see him over the full course of the season. So third base eligibility um, is nice. But, uh, I mean, honestly, in all seriousness, I want him to catch again. Go back there and try that, uh, and, and let's see where it goes. Will Myers is not somebody who ever ends up on my team because I'm, I'm still bitter about how he played uh, with Tampa Bay. And then went off to have the big years. I mean, yeah, I, I, when, I, when that trade first happened, I looked at that like, oh, hey, this is another dumb young situation. Let him go somewhere else and, and be a mercurial player. And then he went off and actually became the player that I wanted him to be when he was with my favorite team. Yeah, it's, it, it's funny how things work like that sometimes, unfortunately. But um, we'll see. Third base for Will Myers would be great if you went back to catcher. We got catcher, first base, third base, outfield. We'd have a, a, a modern-day Jose Akendo. He's as close as we'll ever get to one. So that'd be pretty uh, pretty impressive back there. Let's talk about the Dodgers bullpen right now. Kenley Jansen goes down with his um, his heart issue again. He kind of had it a couple years ago. It's flaring back up. First reports were, you know, he could be out for at least a month or longer. This morning I actually saw he could be back within a week or so, which is crazy to think about. Um, but for now the Dodgers bullpen's in flux. Already back-to-back nights of blown saves with different closers. How do you approach the Dodgers bullpen situation? Stay far, far, far away. Uh, I mean, the best, the safest option, I mean, the safest option, you can look at Scott Alexander. Um, You know, Maeda, I think it's really going to be a situational thing. Nobody really stands out um, from the group. I think if you made me pick one guy, it'd be Alexander, but I'm not very confident. Um, You could see their, their, um, their contender opponents blocking any kind of waiver claim trades that they tried to uh, shove through. Fernando Rodney would have made some sense here, but when Fernando Rodney was going through waivers, they didn't have the problem with Jansen. So it wasn't like that, that can happen. But if you look at it now, yeah, I think one thing, one thing they could try to do is if Sergio Romo were exposed to waivers, uh, but I don't see how Sergio Romo clears waivers. Anybody in front of the Dodgers would just put up, put the claim on him because he's not expensive at all. Um, and because he's he's been closing in the AL East uh, for a good chunk of this year, would make a lot of sense here as a California guy has pitched with the Dodgers. Um, 
But I just don't see that happening. Until that's going to happen, you're just going to have to kind of pick and choose. And I saw a lot of fab dollars being thrown at Alexander in the leagues I was in last weekend. Uh, and I think that's just where it's going to stay right now. Yeah, a lot of fab dollars spent Alexander's way, and he blew the first save against the Giants. And then I believe it was – I think it was Maeda last night blew the save. And it's, it's ugly. Stripling went on the DL today. Yep. Um, Axford's on the DL with the fractured fibula. There's all kinds of fun going on in that Dodgers bullpen right now. Let's talk about another interesting injury. Lance McCullers goes to the DL, going to be out for a little while. And that's um, the first time this year the, the Astros won't have their original starting five, which is I think I heard it's the first time since like 2012 or something like that. Crazy stat in this era of baseball. But he's going to be down for a little bit. How do you think the Astros kind of approach this situation? Yeah, that's a that's an amazing stat that, that they only have five starting pitchers. When you look at what the Dodgers did last year, you look at how many pitchers the Rays have used this year in all types of roles, but to not have a single pitching injury, I mean, that's that's how you repeat as world champs. Uh, obviously, they're having a terrible time of late. Uh, you know, they dropped what six or seven at home. They they keep dropping games to teams they cannot uh, afford to to be losing to in their division right now, uh, and that's hurting their case. I mean, I think. When we looked at this, this is why they, they've kept Colin McHugh this whole time. But I don't know. I think they may just go to the whole Johnny bullpen strategy at this point because you can't just – just because Colin McHugh was a starter in the middle of the season, you can't just flip a switch and be like, all right, dude, you're a starter again. It's going to take some time to build that up. But if you're going to do that, you may as well you may as well go through the pen. And then we've got expanded rosters coming up here in two weeks. And then so for in two weeks, they could throw six guys in a bullpen game, and it wouldn't matter. Uh, so I really think that's where they're going to go with this and just leverage guys like uh, like McHugh, like Peacock, uh, and, and things like and Davinsky for two innings, uh, different things along those lines once once Debo's back. I know he's out right now as well. Um, but they've got enough depth in, in the bullpen, Ryan Presley as well. They've got different pieces they could use for multiple innings, and I think ultimately that's what they're going to do because I don't think they have a solution. They can just pull up from the farm. And again, everybody's going to block something. If there's a if there's a starter with a decent uh, with an affordable right uh, affordable rate, people are going to put the claim in on them. I don't know if anybody's going to pull a Randy Myers thing and, and put a claim on everybody and get stuck with a big old salary uh, like the Padres did years ago. But uh, to me, the bullpen using your bullpen every fifth day is going to be the way for them to go. Yeah, and uh, that brings me to one of my first race questions of the day. Now, the bullpen, and that got people. There's a lot of mixed reaction to that, the bullpenning. And it I, I made sense to me for like one or two starts. Now it seems, what, three or four times it's getting there. But you have Bleak's pitching well, Glassnow will get to, and some others. You've been a big kind of fan of it. You've been tracking the stats on uh, Twitter. And they've been, I believe, one of the best ERAs in baseball since this has happened. It's been quite successful. And what is, Since you watch it on a day-to-day basis, what is your thoughts on this? Is this something that can actually expand in the game? Or is this kind of a like a one-trick pony, a unique situation? You look at you look at the number of teams that have trouble finding five good starters. I mean, let alone, and it's tough. It's really tough. Only the teams with the big payrolls can afford to pay for that kind of thing. Um, you know, a lot of guys are they're they're fighting some innings eater, uh, and innings eater is a kind way of saying you know go out there and give us five. We don't care what you do. Um, you know, with this with this bullpen approach, it's not something that they. I mean, they, there was talk before the season that they wanted to be more cognizant of the third time through the order penalty, but this is the second time through the order penalty. And this whole process was really born out of necessity because they ran out of arms. I mean, it was starting pitcher arms. If you look at the season before the season, uh, Brent Honeywell, Jose De Leon both go down. 
Honeywell was going to be slated for the rotation, not the opening day rotation, but in the first third of the season. Um, Jose De Leon was probably going to be a multi-inning reliever. Uh, and so, But those two guys go down. They get Anthony Bonda in the trade for Steven Souza. Then he goes down. So that's, those are your that was six, seven, and eight, really, if you think about it, or even six and seven. So all of a sudden, they're out of these guys to call up. And so then, that all, I mean, that impacts the AAA. And so in AAA, they started doing this bullpenning thing. And then they said, you know what, we're going to have to do it at the major league level because we don't have another option. Uh, yeah, at the, at the point, for Jake Faria was out with the with the oblique injury. Then they had lost, uh, you know, Chris Archer was out for a time. Blake Snell was out for a time. Yanni Chirinos was out for an extended time. They traded Nate Eovaldi. I mean, they, they just had to do this all year. And I like the way it works. I mean, when you look at some of the guys they're using, I don't think Ryan Yarbrough is a starter. But he could come in and follow up. You know, uh, hard, you know Ryan Stanley coming in and throwing 98 from the right side. The first time, the first time you're up seeing somebody, and then as the second time the batter, you're seeing a lefty that's slinging at 91, 93 from a three quarters angle, and then the third time you come up, you're likely seeing another righty that's throwing hard from a different. So you, and three or four times through the order, the opposing team could see a different pitcher each time, and I think that's why it's effective. And I also think it's going to stick around for at least one spot in the rotation next year because they don't have anybody to call up. I mean, the two guys they have. Uh, that are in Durham that are major league ready are both relievers uh, themselves and uh, Ian Gabo and, and Colin Poche, both of those guys, Gabo has been closing in Durham and Poche has been doing the opener thing himself down there, pitching two innings, sometimes three innings, um, posting ridiculous numbers in the role. And those two guys will come up next year and you add them uh, to the Diego Castillo and the Jose Alvarado um, and everything else that I'm sure they will you know, find another vet or two to replace the uh, uh, Sergio Romo, and if they do something with Chaz Rowe, who just came back off the disabled list, you know, those types of things. But there's a lot of young arms uh, with different talents, and I think this is the best way to utilize them rather than going out and, and spending $5 million on some innings here. Like, uh, you know, Wade Miley's worked out well for the Brewers in that in that area, but, you know, that's that's the exception. A lot of these guys are using innings eaters. I mean, go look at, uh, you know, look how Matt Moore's playing out for the Rangers this year. Look at how... Uh, Giovanni Gallardo or, or Bartolo Colon, just because they're eating innings doesn't, I mean, the best thing it's doing is giving your bullpen a bit of a rest. Um, but when you have 22 pitchers on the 40-man roster and, and 18 of them are in AAA or the major leagues, you can afford to cycle these guys up and down. And that's when you do that bullpen construction. It's, it's very handy to have guys with options. I mean, you look at the Yankees, I think they have one guy. I think Louis Sessa has been up and down between New York and Scranton 58 times this year where he keeps going up and down. You come up, pitch, okay, go down. Or Jonathan Holder. Somebody's got – there's like one guy in that pen that has options, and they keep using it um, to that point. But you look at the Rays bullpen, and I think five guys um, have options, and they can call them up, call them down, call them up, call them down. Yeah, no, it seems to have gone like really, really well, and I enjoy it. It's, it's interesting as a, as a fantasy person, as a DFS player kind of figuring out – how it's all going, it changes your approach on things. But do you, like you said, that the Rays will most likely do it at least one spot next year, and it makes sense to me. Everything you said makes sense. I get it. Do you see this kind of being a trend a lot of other teams pick up on, or is it kind of just really a unique unique situation? I mean, Kansas City's done a little bit of it this year. Um, Oakland's tried it once uh, a couple of times too. So a couple of different pieces. I mean, I could see some other teams – that's the thing about baseball. Everybody copies. As soon as something works, somebody else is going to try it. We go back a couple of years ago when Kansas City became the team that 
didn't have all the power but didn't strike out and ran a lot, other teams tried it. And then when other you know, when other teams said, okay, we're going to go ahead and eschew contact and we're going to stack up on power hitters, oh, wow, that works. I'm going to try that too. Some There's going to be multiple teams that are going to try it this year. And I think one of the crazy things we'll see is we'll, we'll see some of these middle relievers getting paid more than some of these end game starters. Well, I mean, some, it's it's nothing to see one of these end game starters get a one year six million dollar deal. But you know, I, I know a lot was being made last year when people said, "Wow, you know, what is what are the Rockies doing, giving all that money to 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 Wade Davis and and the other guy, the couple? They they spent a lot of money in their bullpen this year, and then so did uh, so did Philadelphia. Two years, eighteen million on Tommy Hunter. You're like, why is Tommy Hunter getting nine million a year? Uh, and so I can see that that market, if you're a middle reliever heading to free agent market, um, you may see a small bump in your value this year because uh, if I could use you and, and you've proven a guy that could be a multi-inning reliever this year, I'll take you over over a couple of you over a guy that I know that's going to give me that's going to be worth like half a win. If I can put two relievers together like you and get a win and a half out of you, maybe two wins, uh, that's a better that's a better investment on the money. No, I like it. I'm curious to see where it goes. Uh, just a quick note. We don't have to talk about it, but those that didn't see last night, James Paxton took a shot off the elbow, left the game. X-ray is negative. They're going to take an MRI. I haven't seen results on that yet, but it was, real, it was scary. He wouldn't even pick up the baseball to, to complete the play, and he basically took himself out of the game. It was not a good look at all. Yeah, yeah, I know. I saw that. I, I'm in a, a very tight at-home AL league race where I, I'm lucky enough where I had Paxton on. He's in this final year of a deal on my roster, but then I, uh, I also drafted Chris sale in that league and I have, and I protected Blake Snell and then I had Tyler Skaggs. So I mean, I have all these, all of these talented lefties, uh, and then I'm having problems with injuries. Also had Garrett Richards on this team, lost him already, obviously. Um, but so I have all this pitching and it's a good thing that I've built up a big lead in a lot of the categories because it's, they've been slowly pecking away at it and pecking away at it. And every time I get one guy back, another one goes away. So I got, Sail back on Sunday, lost Paxton. At least, oh, well. he had the, at least he had the depth, I guess, but what could have been. Um, let's talk about some players that are kind of have made some impacts of late and could impact some fantasy teams. Um, Cedric Mullins for the Baltimore Orioles, one of their kind of speed prospects coming up. They already moved Adam Jones to right field, DFA Danny Valencia. What are your thoughts on a guy like Cedric Mullins uh, helping a fantasy team? Well, that's the crazy thing. I mean, Valencia was actually productive. I mean, his role in his career, he's always been the guy that hits lefties uh, really well. And, you know, he can play third base in the outfield. I, I have yet to see him being picked up by anybody or claims. I'm kind of surprised by that uh, because he has some flexibility. He's a nice bat off the bench. And, I, I mean, that to me was a, like, wow, because uh, he, was, he was productive this year. I mean, with Mullins, the speed has been there in the minor leagues. But at the major league level, he's, he's playing for a manager that just doesn't really run. I mean, there are times when he will take advantage of things, but for the most part, Buck Showalter is not a fan of the running game. Um, and you know, even I think that kind of proliferates down. This year, you know, Mullins had 21 steals across two different levels, and he had 30 in 2016, but at the major league level here, um, he's been on base, no stolen bases yet, and he only has one attempt he's been caught. And so that's really what I'm uh, – he's going to play. That's the great thing about Mullins. They don't call a kid up like this so he can sit on the bench. 
Um, and what else? The, what else does Baltimore have to prove? I mean, just let him go out and play and sink and swim. I think it sets up nicely for next year, so they can see what they have. Is this is this a starter or is this somebody who is um, a fourth outfield material? I mean, if you look at the scouting report on him, um, they say he could be an everyday major leaguer. But you look at the numbers, he has a forty-five grade on him according to Fangraphs, and forty-five is an everyday player. Not a great one, but an everyday player. Nice. Um... Let's talk Tukey's Toussaint. He made his uh, major league debut a couple of days ago, pitching game one of a double dip with for the uh, Braves, and he looked darn good. He's a big time prospect arm in that system. It's been a rocky road to get here, but he definitely had a solid debut. Rumors are he's already to get sent back down. But uh, what's your thoughts on what maybe you saw or what you can you think Tukey can be in the future? Twenty-two years old. I mean, what you saw yesterday was the future. I mean, when you look at the, the curveball, I mean, the fastball is good. And you look at that curveball, and it's really good. And he's, I mean, he's a, a 22-year-old pitcher with three pitches. The only thing that it comes down to is, is how is he going to command those? And, that, and that's youthful. And that's, that's youthful in experience. And the more experience he gets, that'll happen. And you look at his, his climb through the minor league ladder, I mean, he spent 100, uh, 132 innings at low A, 105 at high A, and then 110 in double A, and he's only at 31 innings, or now, as of yesterday, 37 above double A. He needs more time. And, and, you know, you see the curveball, you see the potential yesterday, and what he, and you're like, oh, God, call him up now. Why should they sit him down? Look what Acuna Jr. is doing, and look what Ozzy Albies is doing. You th- pitching's different, man. I mean, he, when you look at, when you look at the, the workload, he was 141 innings last year, he's at 127 now. Uh, so if you keep him, if he were to come to the major leagues right now and throw five innings every time out for the rest of the way, that puts you like 160, 170 innings uh, at, at, at his age. That's a lot on the arm. Um, so I, you know, for the Braves, I can see exercising uh, caution and making sure that you're not growing that workload too much year over year. A lot of teams like looking at a 20% figure year over year. And so he may, you know, he'll probably come back up when rosters expand here. Uh, in two weeks, but he may always spot start. He may work out of the pen a little bit. Uh, maybe they see, you know what, maybe he's got enough stuff where we can use him as a late inning weapon uh, and, and out of the bullpen as we get into the postseason. Hopefully, you know, for them, uh, they can use him as a late inning weapon, much like, uh, you know, the race did with David Price in 2008. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, definitely. Uh, curious to see what he has coming forward. Uh, let's talk Devin Travis, Letimus Diaz, a couple uh, middle infielders for the Toronto Blue Jays. Not the flashiest of names, but they're swinging some good bats, um, stealing a few bags here, hitting some um, homers. Lourdes Gurriel was on fire, gets hurt, and that kind of opened the way for both these guys to get everyday playing time. And he just started taking ground balls, so he has some time before he gets back. Any like, What kind of league do you need to be in to go for like a Devin Travis or Letimus Diaz, or is this just don't worry about it? Uh I'm a big Devin Travis fan. I mean, the thing about Devin Travis is is the health. He, he, too, has his own problem staying healthy. He's been dinged up here and there. But I really love his approach at the plate, watching him play. I mean, in the field, it's okay. But at the plate, I'm very impressed with what I see. I, I, I was very high on him coming into the season, um, even last year, too. And it just hasn't really been able to hit uh, full expectations. But if I'm in a keeper league and I can get him now uh, on the cheap for next year, I'm in. I'm in on that. Um, with, with Diaz, you know, he pull heavy, right-handed guy. Um, not not a big on base guy, but has a lot of pop. 
Uh, and you know, that comes with risk. So if you're trying to chase some homers, you're looking for a guy that may hit eight to 10 the rest of the way on the very high end. But if five to seven home runs could help your roster at some point, and he's going to keep playing, that's a guy. Because, I mean, the power's not question. He can hit for power. Uh, it's just a matter of can he um, can he avoid getting himself out and chasing those pitches away that he struggles with. Yeah, no doubt about it. Let's talk about a, a middle end. The cool thing about a couple of them, we'll split this one up. Middle end fillers for your raise. Joey Wendell, this is a guy that um, most people have no clue where he came from. Probably don't even know what he looks like right now. But he's sitting in the middle of that raise order almost nightly, and he's producing day in and day out. Tell us about Joey Wendell and what his fantasy value is. I mean, I'd like Wendell's approach is, is really good at the plate. I mean, I'm impressed with how, as a lefty, how he stays in there against lefties, not overmatched. He's turned himself into an everyday player. Um, when when you looked, when you first looked at him, you're like, okay, this is definitely going to be a, a guy who can play against righties uh, for a second division club. Uh, but he does just, I mean, he's not the fastest guy in the world, but he's a good base runner and can steal some bases. He does, he's not the biggest guy in the world, but he can turn on a good on a on a fastball and and hit a mistake out. And he uses all parts of the field. I think it's one of the one of the skills that's undervalued these days when everybody's shifting. You can't shift him. You're trying to figure out, okay, how is this guy? Uh, you know, how is this guy who has you know had, had, was is still a rookie? I mean, he, this is his third season in the major leagues, but he didn't have enough plate appearances to qualify. And, and he's having his career year at the plate is because you can't shift him. You get the two strikes and all this, what I would do if I were the defense and playing him when he's in two strikes, I would put like all eight defenders in left center field. Cause that's where that ball's going. And when I watch him play, every time he gets into two strikes, he's going the other way with that pitch. They're trying to pitch him away. And he's like, fine, flop. I'm going to hit it out there. And he'll hit doubles and, and singles the other way, but he uses all parts of the field. And that's what I really enjoy uh, about him, and he doesn't. He doesn't get himself out. He'll take pitches. Um, look, take pitches early in the count if the strike's okay. But he doesn't expand his zone and try to do uh, more than he's capable of. I compare that to Malik Smith, who still tries to hit home runs on pitches up at his letters, and pitchers keep throwing it there because they know he's not going to hit a home run on that pitch. But he he can't lay off it. Uh, and so you know, Joey Wendell makes the most of himself, and Malik Smith kind of does the opposite. <coughs> Uh, let's talk about Willie Adamas, a uh, prospect that I thought should have been playing over Echeverria last season, and he finally got the chance now to play every day. He's hitting with some power. He's stealing bases, which he didn't do a ton of in the minors. Everything's clicking at the moment for this guy. Uh, what do you think on Willie Adamas? And it's, it's really at the moment. Uh, if you you go back and if you had him in July or you watched him in July, he was not good. I mean, he – they call everybody wanted him up. He was doing great in Durham. They call him up, and he really struggled out of the gate. And I'm talking about both sides. I mean, he looked terrible in the field. Um, his footwork was bad. He'd, he'd hop a lot of throws, rush, rush the obvious play, uh, make some phenomenal plays. People may remember the uh, the, the Gary the infamous Gary Sanchez double play. I mean, that, that's a heads up play by Adamas. And the next day, he, he you know too hop to throw uh, that should have been a routine one. But then something clicked in August. Um, and these two weeks in August, he's been on fire. I mean, he looks like a different guy at the plate. Um, he's hitting the ball with authority. I mean, he, he still is a guy that is looking to punish pitches on the inner half. He's looking for those fastballs he can turn and burn on. Uh, and I think back in July, you go back and watch, he was having trouble getting that front foot down. And so when he went to, by the time he's trying to get swing, the ball's already in halfway on him. And he's not, he was not able to pull the ball. And he was hitting a lot of weak contact 
the, the other direction. You look at him now, and that front foot's getting down, and those hips are firing towards the pitcher's mound so that his bat's able to come through and do what he needs to do. And that's why you're seeing him hit the ball with more authority. I mean, last night took uh, took Dylan Batanza's way deep to Death Valley in Yankee Stadium. You don't see a lot of people do that. Uh, I mean, he Dylan Batanza said a lot has been made recently of how Clayton Kershaw has pretty much owned uh, the Giants for his entire career. That's pretty. That's Dylan Batanza against the race. He has pretty much dominated them um, throughout his career. Yeah, and then Adamas comes up and gets that fastball down there and just crushed. It. What's your thoughts on Adamas next year? Like, where do you look at him in the shortstop landscape? <laughs> it's a, I mean, there's, there's a lot of names there. That's the problem. I yeah. think, you know, you could probably, you could still pick him up in the, in the mid teens round. Um, yeah, I don't know. I think he can hit 20 homers in the season. I don't know if he'll steal 10 bases. I don't know if he'll hit 280 over the course of the season. Um, but he's going to play as long as he doesn't get hurt. And he's going to be 155 game shortstop next year and that's that's really where a lot of his value is going to be right now as we try as he continues the physical maturity and we try to figure out which guy he's going to be yeah let's talk ronald guzman of the texas rangers he seems to hit all his home runs against the yankees and then it's uh it's something something about that and then it's a less than joey gallo like performance um can we just call this a hot streak or is there something i'm missing uh it's i mean he's a he's a Big dude. Um, I just think it's really a hot streak and playing in front of a bunch of family there in Yankee Stadium and being in Yankee Stadium where pop-ups go for home runs. Um, you know, come at me if you're a Yankee fan, but the stadium right field's a joke. Uh, a 314 down the line, you can't. You shouldn't be able to build a new stadium. If you're, you know, Fenway is one thing, but you can't be building a new park that's got those kind of field dimensions. It's terrible. Uh, but, no, Guzman has got – he's got nice raw power. Um, but it's to me, it just feels more like matchup things. I mean, even if you look throughout the minor leagues, and he's played in some nice run environments. I mean, he's only two off his career high right now, uh, and so right now he's getting the everyday playing time. Uh, but Joey Gallo light feels like a nice label. I mean, he's not striking out to the level of Gallo. He still he can still get his walks, but it is a uh, once the once the home run the fly ball ratio goes away, um, the production is going to go away here. Agreed. Uh, let's talk about Tanner Rourke. Nothing flashy about Tanner Rourke at all. He really kind of disappointed for most of the year, but the last month or so, he's actually put together some pretty solid starts. Is this a guy you could look at for your stretch run, or are you kind of still hesitant on Tanner? You know, it's kind of like the the, the opposite of the Nationals. You know, we want them yeah. to do more, and then they don't. And then now they're not. He's doing more. I mean, I've always, I always, I thought he was a safe pick coming into the year because he was going to be loaded with, with offensive support and things were going to be there. Uh, but you're right. Over his last four starts, he's part of me just been dealing, going going into the pitching seven plus innings in each one of them, uh, except for the start against Cincinnati of all teams. Uh, he's getting seven plus strikeouts, so he's on a roll. And yeah, he's done this before. And you just, you pick him up and you hope the Nationals don't blow any more games like they blew the other night uh, against the Cubs, and uh, go from there. I mean, he's won his last four starts, but before that, he was winless over his next seven. In fact, he was winless over. Four, 13 of his previous 14 starts, and then has won four here in a row um, against most, I mean, uh, two different levels of competition against the Cubs, against the Brewers, against the Reds, and against the Mets. So you got the haves and the have nots. Yeah. But he's beaten both types of teams. So yeah, it looks like he's, uh, things are back on track for him. And uh, let's see how this rides out. 
Yeah, that's kind of how I felt coming into the year. I thought that was one of the kind of the safer mid to later round picks, kind of put on the back end of your rotation and then so disappointing, like you were reading off there. And he's come together of late, so hopefully that keeps going strong. Let's talk about a couple more pitchers real quick. One, um, Mr. Herman Marquez, he's been dealing for the, the Rockies, looking really, really good. What have you seen watching Marquez? I love Marquez coming in. I mean, coming into the year, I liked him. And the funny thing is I liked him because I thought – that Colorado was going to use that aforementioned expensive bullpen to marginalize Marquez. And what I mean by that is, you know, Marquez has historically had a, a terrible third time through the order penalty. I mean, like his ERA after the 18th batter is six something, 665. It was terrible coming into the year. So I figured, okay, the Rockies went out and bought all these relievers. They're going to let Marquez go two times through the order, pinch hit for him. Uh, and then let the relievers finish the game. And if Marquez is having a good game, that means he's going to get five innings. Relievers can cover four. No worry. Then I look at it this year, and the only game in which he's pitched, he's faced fewer than 18 guys was like the, the third game of the year when he got into that bench-clearing brawl uh, and punched Nolan Arenado. That's the only time he's missed any time. <coughs> Pardon me. That's the only time he's missed uh, that he hasn't pitched um, a third time through. So he's been pitching that third time through. And he's doing better. I mean, one of the things that I look at is how he's picked, you know, what's the difference? And he's, and he's throwing fewer fastballs. He's always had a great sinker, always. And it's been an electric sinker. But now he's throwing more breaking balls uh, to that point. And so it's not so predictable that third time through. Uh, and and, that, and that's helping. And now what we have to look at is next year is how sustainable that is. Because when a guy has got a career of, of doing one thing and then one year it gets better, just when you're do- when you're doing your projections, you have to regress towards the what he's done the previous 500 innings over what he did in the most recent 70. Um, so it's worth considering. But right now, he's doing it. I mean, he he is he is 12 team mixed league productive right now. And I look at dollar values in a 12 team mixed league. He has a positive he has a positive auction value right now. And for a Rockies pitcher in a 12 team mixed league, having a positive run value that's almost unheard of. Uh, but he's doing it. And then in an NL format, he's an eight dollar pitcher. Uh, and that's a guy that you probably, if you even rostered him in a 12-team mixed league, he was a reserve pick. And even in the NL, he may have cost you $5 on draft day. So he's turning a profit either way. And you mentioned, and you mentioned you know, for a Rockies pitcher, pitcher, it's pretty impressive because they're all starting to deal there. You know, you got Freeland, you have Tyler Anderson, John Gray after his little hiatus is pitching better. You got Marquez. Uh-huh. They're all pitching really good at home, too. They're, they figured something out in the philosophy of that ball club, so it's impressive to see. Yeah, you, um, can't, change, you can't change the outfield dimensions. I mean, that's the yeah. thing The thing that gets overlooked with there. It's not the home run as much anymore. It's just the, 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 the amount of open space that's there, that the balls can fall in for base hits, and if you're playing no doubles defense, you're going to allow a bunch of singles. If you're playing in and anything gets through, it's an automatic triple. But then you look at a lot of people say, okay, yeah, he stinks at home. Uh, he ha- he has had problems at home, but then you look at the this run that he's on right now and the quality of opponent held Oakland to two runs over seven and two thirds, held Milwaukee to two runs over seven, held Houston to one run and three hits over seven last night. So I mean he's he's pitching against quality opponents right now that are doing well against other teams, but they're not doing good against Marquez. Yeah, he's been doing darn good. Let's talk about uh, another one of your raised arms here, Tyler Glass. Now, everyone you know thought he'd be this good prospect and never really panned out in the bigs. Gets a new shot there with Tampa Bay, part of the opener program. They're stretching him out to looks like probably become a starter again. Yeah. He looked great. What are you seeing there? Man, it's 
it's been fun to watch him pitch. I mean, when you look at him and Archer, you're talking about two different pitching philosophies from the organization. So Pittsburgh is, is a big believer in heavy fastball, um, but heavy fastball down and in. I mean, they like to generate the work off their infield defense. That's been their philosophy. Then you look at the Tampa Bay philosophy, and it's the up-down philosophy. Fastball's up, fastball's down, change eye levels, and other pitches to the sides. You know, avoid the heart of the plate, work up, work down, paint to the sides, but changing eye levels and working that. Uh, you know, there's some great – if people go and read uh, Perry Husband's stuff on effective velocity, that's where a lot of the race pitching philosophy is based off of um, because Jim Hickey, their previous hitting coach who set the policy for a lot of the organization – um, you know that he was an early convert of the of the effective velocity, so that's something to go uh, look at. But that's really where Glass now has succeeded because now he can take that upper nineties fastball and work it up and down instead of mostly just down and down on the inner half. So he's working it up and down, and then he's able to take the breaking ball and get and get ahead in the count, and that breaking ball becomes better because he doesn't have to use it to throw strikes. And I, I like calling them pseudo strikes. You throw something that looks like a strike until you start swinging at it, and then it falls out of the zone. And if you've watched him pitch, he's been able to do that. But then he's been able to come back and just overpower guys with the fastball too because 99 up is really hard to hit if you put it where you where you put it where the catcher's calling for it. I mean, if you're throwing 99 up in a 3-0 count, somebody has a green light, it's not that hard to hit uh, for, for guys looking for it. But if you're in a 1-2 count and you're getting 99 – and you were expecting uh, a fastball down, or you were expecting a breaking ball, and all of a sudden, oh, God, here's fastball. I've got to protect, and, and then it's bite. Um, so it's been re- he's been throwing gas right now. It's been fun to watch him uh, command. And, um, you know, you look at a guy, the, the he doesn't – when you first – when you see the scouting report of him back in the pits where you even watched him, you could know he threw with good velocity, but the command really wasn't there. And now they're letting him – they're working him as a starter, and his pitch counts have gone up a little bit each time. Um, and that's really the last frontier with him is going to be controlling the running game because when he puts guys on, people uh, – Caleb Joseph stole the base the other day. Uh, I mean, there have been guys that are just feeling – Mike Trout in, in Glasnow's first outing, still second, pretty much standing up. That's not it, was, good. it was bad. Pardon me. But, uh, no yeah, it was uh, – so that's really the other thing. I think they're 11 for 14, 12 for 15 against him in the running game this year. That's that's the final frontier. Uh, that's going to hold stuff back. But when I watch him pitch, um, he he is performing like I wish Archer would have the last couple of years. I mean, Archer was at this level, and I think Archer's still capable of doing something like this. But right now, Glasnow is pitching like I wish Archer would have pitched this year. That said, even though Archer didn't pitch as well as I had hoped for this year, he sure brought a hell of a return back. Yes, he did. Um, what are your thoughts on Glasnow, Meadows, and now Mr. Shane Baz coming over your way? Uh, I mean, Meadows will be up here in two weeks. It, it gives them – one of the things they really didn't have is a uh, as a, a left-handed hitting outfielder I mean, in, in, the, in the system, one they could count on as a uh, as an everyday guy. I mean, Joe McCarthy is in Durham. He's been hurt uh, for a good chunk of the second half. But I liked what I saw of him early in the season. He made me a reserve guy. Uh, but you can put Meadows in left field. You've got Kiermaier in center. You've got Tommy Pham now uh, under control and right. That's a very athletic uh, outfield offensively and defensively, which should be impressive. And Shane Boz, and it's, it, he's in rookie ball. He's three hours north of me in Princeton, West Virginia right now. Um, it'll take a few years, and maybe he is on his way in as Glasnow is on his way out um, by then. You've got, a, you've got a continual starter um, at that point, but we'll see how that works. But – 
if you were to tell me uh, at the beginning of this year that the Rays would be able to trade Chris Archer for uh, Glasnow, who was ranked either first or third in the Pirates system each of the last four years that he was eligible for rankings, and this year's number two and number three prospect, I would have laughed at you. Uh, and they basically, and that's exactly what they got out of him. And this is when you talk, it applies to fantasy too. Know when to sell. I mean, there was one quality starter that was out there at that point because the Mets really weren't trading Jacob DeGrom. Uh, and there were multiple teams that wanted him. And this was the price that came off. You have to, you have to think that Atlanta was trying to get him too. Um, but I don't know if anybody could have topped the offer uh, that, uh, that they ended up getting from Pittsburgh. No, that's absolutely outstanding, that uh, deal and all the deals, the Tommy Pham deal, Jalen Beeks, you name it. They did a great job rebuilding that whole system and from the major leagues up, they got a much better ball club. I made, I made a side bet with uh, one of the guys I work with because he's always he's a big Braves fan. He's, we're always talking. And he's like, man, you were the only guy I know who cares about Tampa Bay. And I was like, hey, next five years they're making it back to the World Series. Book it. And since I'm his boss, <laughs> I'll, I'll have to hold him to it. Yeah, I like it. I like it. Uh, let's have a couple of debates real quick. Uh, the one that's you know too easy, but everyone's doing it. And I, I'm just curious for people's opinions on it. Ronald Acuna has been on an absolute tear. And as we record, first pitch of his at-bat, um, Jose Urena hit him in the elbow. Urena got ejected. Acuna left the game. So we'll see how it comes out of that. But um, Acuna versus Juan Soto. What are your thoughts on these guys going into 2019? Because they've just been amazing. Uh, we're all going to overpay for them. Yeah. I mean, that honestly, that's what it comes down to. It is when 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 they called Soto up. I was I you know, I remember doing the old you were recording of what we were doing the sleeper in the bus, and I just said it's like that Michael Sarah GIF all in. I <laughs> I am all in on Juan Soto, and and I can't. That's what my reply was on Twitter every time somebody asked, "Hey, what?" I just like I'm all in. Yeah. Just push in, and and he's backed it up. He has been phenomenal. And I just really like what I see at the plate. And the same thing with Acuna Jr. You look at the way how the ball just flies up his bat to all fields. You can't go wrong either way offensively. You can go wrong by overreaching for him and always thinking that the next it can like the next level is up. You know, maybe the next level is down a little bit and then it comes back up. But you know, I, I don't want to be. I, but I said this this year. I didn't want to be the one out there over uh, overpaying for Ozzy Albies. And then you saw how he started off in April, and a lot of the teams who owned him stayed up in the standings. And then the same one play, paying for Acuna Junior. Uh, you know, I didn't do it last year. Maybe I'd do it this. Maybe I'd do it in 2019. Like, fine. I, I didn't want to play the risk, and it cost me because I'm not going to win any of my leagues this year. And, and some guys that chase the rookies are. But I, I'm going to go against the track record of letting other people overpay for rookies. Um, and it's going to be tough to, to withhold, especially Soto. But I, I just really love watching that guy hit. For 19, he's not even 20 years old yet. He looks so, so much better than a lot of guys in their late 20s in Major League right now. Yeah, bat Soto has where he can go from an 0-2 count to a full count with four more foul balls. and Just the things he can do at the plate are so, so impressive. And you mentioned both these guys. We are going to overpay for them. And, and I'm, I'm with you on the strategy of, I don't like taking rookies early and all that kind of stuff, but it's working. And I think a lot of it has to do with, I've heard a lot of other analysts talk about it. It's just the new era we're living in where they're getting the chance early because they are that good and they can be that good. And we're starting to see the development of these players a little differently. So we shall see. But one more debate I wanted to to ask you, because I believe you got to see these two in person the other night. You were in Charlotte, weren't you? I was, but only one of them played. 
Yes, Vlad did not play, which is a crime. He should be out. Well, I don't know what's worth of a crime. Him not playing there or in Toronto. One of those two. But uh, Eloy Jimenez hit a bomb. This guy is so impressive. What did, what was your takeaway from seeing him in person? And I've seen I've seen Jimenez a couple of times in person because I you know I've, I've been to about ten Charlotte games this year and he's been in the last four. I, he he is about three quarters legs. He is all trunk. I mean all 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 legs. I mean and when you watch him at the at the plate, he's got a very wide stance. I wouldn't say it's like Jeff Bagwell wide, but it's wide. And one of the things that impressed me is that front foot. He really yeah. turns it in as his timing mechanism. And so when he lifts up, he's ready to go. And then the home run he hit the other night, that ball got deep on him. And he still was able to flick his wrist and hit it six rows deep in the, in the right center field. Uh, and so, you know, it wasn't a pull shot because I've seen him hit a pull shot homer uh, and the left fielder just looks and doesn't even move. Uh, and, and so the, the ball just really flies up his bat. But I, I was impressed with how deep he was able to let that ball go and then still just flick and then, and then hit it like he did. And that's not a small part to right field. I mean, right down the line is 325, uh, but that right center field, and, and there's never a wind blowing out the right, that direction. That thing was gone off the bat. It was high, too, but you could tell by the sound it was going to be gone. But, yeah, I missed out on, on Vlad Guerrero. I, I drove to Johnson City, Tennessee on Friday, and, and, and that game was rained out, and that was supposed to be from oh, Andre Franco. So, yeah, I missed two of the top three prospects in baseball in the last four days. Um, you know, Princeton, West Virginia is three hours north of me, and I'm really tempted to go up there and try again to see if uh, – uh, Franco and then uh, now Boz pitch up there, but I'm afraid I'm going to drive up there and that's going to get washed out too. So I will, uh, I guess I'll just wait for the Arizona Fall League and see who's going to the Fall League and I'll watch them out there. Yeah, that'll be another fun uh, group of players. We saw last year's was just amazing. Can't imagine it'll be much different this year. But it, involving uh, Eloy and Vlad, so we just talked about Acuna and Soto are going to be overpaid for. This year it seems like maybe Vlad and Eloy will kind of be in that Acuna this past year mold would you be willing to take that chance on those two guys this year uh it's tough i i, I have a tough time when i when i look at when i look at you know him just because the numbers are so insane this year of what he's done uh in double a AA and triple a it's, it's just crazy to see that and but i mean the power is absolutely real but when i try to when i try to figure out where he's going to be and you know at the major league level you know maybe he maybe he produces is like Jose Abreu has at first base. And when you look at the fact that, you know, Jimenez just doesn't run because he's too big, but yeah, he's got plenty of power in that regard and he can, and he can hit for average. Like I said, he covers the plate very well. Um, but at the same time, you, you've also got you've also got Vlad Jr. in Toronto in that run environment and the parts he's going to play in. Uh, I, I give the slight push here to to Vlad for 2019 offensive production uh, because of the home environment and where he's going to play on the road. I mean, you've got the, the nice cozy Fenway wall. You've got the the cozy situation in Baltimore with terrible pitching, and um, you know if if they leave him out there to play um, the whole time, uh, it could be a special season there as well. Uh, so I, I love both dudes. I have a tough time picking one, but I'm going to give a slight edge to, to Vlad there um, as the, I guess, overall offensive production. But I'll give um, – I will give uh, – like Jimenez is going to – I think Jimenez will be the better um, the better home run hitter. But I think in overall, but the rest, you look at the offensive run production, like weighted on base average, weighted run created, that's going to be Vlad. Gotcha. Well, Jason, I appreciate you joining me tonight. Uh, a lot of fun, a lot of great info, uh, as expected. Uh, let everybody know what you have coming up and where they can find you. 
Sure. Uh, Sleeper in the Bus recording. Uh, the ones I'm on will be back starting this weekend. We've had uh, uh, Justin Mason, the producer, has been moving. Uh, so that's been an issue. And so, yeah, we've got a recording. We'll do one uh, on Sunday before I've got to run out and do my first fantasy football draft uh, here with a bunch of other local Charlotte writers. Uh, and I have not even read a single fantasy football thing yet. Because uh, if you follow me or listen to me, you know my stance. Fantasy football is something I do to kill time until draft season. Uh, and uh, somehow I win some leagues, and I honestly put ten minutes of effort into it. Um, but thanks to you know, thanks to all my friends at RotoWire, I can read what they have, and that's my effort. I read recommendations, I throw them in, uh, and so that's how I. But I have my first draft on Sunday afternoon. But I have a, my collect calls piece at RotoWire is actually on her memoir, Kez. Uh, so look into that, and then I've got uh, be starting to do some of the game recaps and some of the players as well over the weekends. Because uh, I see some of the comments, and I'm like, hey, I want to add some jokes and put some things in. So they're going to give me some turns over the weekend and adding some of the uh, the comments and the game recaps uh, on Rotowire. So look for those too. Awesome. Awesome. Well, everybody, uh, go check them out on Twitter, 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 Twitter. And uh, thanks for joining me, man. I really appreciate it. Thanks, sure thing, man. Enjoyed it. Everybody, this was Bench with Bubba, episode 115. Catch you guys later.